0: This is the Be On Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. And this year we are exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament in what we're calling a chrono-geobiological flow. That is, we're following the chronology of the book of Acts and then veering off to the places and people and topics that are addressed in Acts. But today we're staying in Acts. And we're going to be taking a look at a vision for taking the gospel globally, one that was given to Peter, and I'm thankful for that vision. I'm thankful that the church decided that it was for um, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, because I am one, and so I'm I'm grateful that that the gospel was a global gospel, and that you know, there's I think there's a tendency been for for those of us in the West or in particular, maybe in the United States, or maybe it's just me to kind of think of Christianity in some ways as an American kind of religion, but we are the mission field. I mean, <laughs> I we, the gospel is taken to us yeah. from, from them. And it's, it's good to be reminded of that from time to time. In fact, even today, I, I heard something recently that the majority of Christians in the world are from other countries. They're from the, they're from the global South. You know, they're, they're from parts of Asia and Africa and South America and not from the global North and 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 the West. You know, I
1: mean the, the cradle of Christianity was North Africa and the Middle East, you know? And so, yeah, we've got this sense that, uh, Christianity is very much a, a Western, uh, religion or belief system. And that
0: couldn't be further from the truth. So we've already seen that a little bit in the story and in the podcast that we've shared, how it sort of focused in and around Jerusalem. And then there were people from Ethiopia who were getting baptized. And there were, there were folks from Damascus and Syria who were being witnessed to. And in Samaria, there were like the, the, the gospels beginning to expand. We're seeing it take place in real time. And now people. There's this man named Peter. Now, Peter was the the guy in Jerusalem. He he was the right hand man of Jesus. You know, I, people often say that Jesus had his twelve, then he had his three. Well, he probably then had his one. Like Peter was it, and he told Peter, you know, it's it's on this rock, on you, buddy, that we're going to build this church and your your statement of faith. So Peter Peter really saw himself as a Jew's Jew and as a Christian who was a believed in Jesus as the as the Messiah. He was so interested in making sure that other Jewish people did that. And this episode today helps us understand a bit about how he received that vision. So how how he received that in his life. All right, let's take a let's take a look at the story a bit and see what we can find. It's in Acts chapter ten for those of you who'd like to follow along. And we're going to start off in a city called Caesarea. It was in Jewish territory, but it was not built by the Jewish people. And you can tell by the word Caesar in the name, Caesarea, that it was a very Roman place. And it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 1, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. You already get the sense that we're, you know this is not the synagogue or even the Sanhedrin with all the Jewish characters. This is a very Roman person. He's a, he's a centurion. He's, he's got an Italian regiment under him. But it does say, in verse 2, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. We know that there were a number of Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish people, who had either embraced Judaism or at least were respectful of it, and would would honor the the God of the Jews. that we would they would say, and they would be honor God honoring people, God fearing people, uh, gener- And he was so he was generous. He gave. He helped people that were poor. He he was a a person that prayed. So. He was a military officer, but he was also dipping into the Jewish way of life, and that perhaps gave him a foot in both worlds, I would say, just a little bit. The story goes on in verse 3. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at the angel in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, "Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God." Ben, that's got to be a pretty cool thing to have that kind of confirmation that what you're doing has been noticed by heaven, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think?
1: Yeah, abs- absolutely, and and inevitably, Cornelius uh, being. The, the god-fearing man that he uh, from all indications uh, was you know these are gifts and offerings that he would have given privately you know as a means to glorify god not as a means to uh some sort of self-accreditation but as a means to glorify god and to to see God recognizing that and affirming him yeah that had to have been quite the moment
0: it had to be something and the angel goes on and tells him in verse five now send some of your men to the city of Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with another guy named Simon, who's a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants. We don't know if they were Jews or Gentiles and a devout soldier Gentile who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and then he sent them off to Joppa. So he's, he sends this small entourage off to go find Peter only because it's out of obedience to what the Lord had told him to do. And I don't even know at this point if he knows why. He may, and it may not be written down, but I'm guessing he doesn't even know why. He's just doing what God told him to do. I, I just keep finding lessons in these stories. and there's a lesson in that that it's it's not blind obedience. I don't mean that, but this obedience of as far back as Abraham going without knowing you, you don't know the results of where you're headed, but God says, do this. And your first answer is yes. Um, there's a lesson we can learn from this guy in there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, and, and, and you know, to all of us, uh, I love, and I've shared this with you before, but God's call to Abraham where he says, you know, go to the land that I will show you. And Abraham doesn't know the land, but he just goes. And uh, we see the same thing with Cornelius. He doesn't necessarily know why uh, folks are being sent to to get Peter, but he just does what he's told. And I think oftentimes we have a way of projecting uh, or, or like looking, trying to look into the future to see the end result of God's uh, command. And so even like when I, when so many people associate bearing witness to Christ on what that might do to exist in friendships with non-believers, which sometimes keeps them from actually sharing Christ uh, with a friend or a family member because they're they're fearful of creating some sort of relational tension and they don't even know what the end result will be you know and if we would just simply seek to live into God's call to live into God's command to live into God's desire uh what beauty might we see on the end
0: of that if we would just be obedient to the call that's that's that call right there i love that because if we prejudge it and say well this person will never come around then that doesn't give that person a hope.
1: That's right. If they, if this, you know, when I was in a, uh, when I was in college between my mom and and this young lady, a uh, young girl, a uh, peer of mine, Christy Woldridge, if Christy would have looked at me and said, there's no hope for that guy. And there would have been reason to believe <laughs> that there was no hope for that guy. You know, I wouldn't be sitting here uh, today. But because she pursued me with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you know, she's the one this, this girl Christy is the one that planted the seed of the gospel in my heart. Um she's the one that God used as a means to first convey the gospel uh to me. And there was no indication, there was nothing that no vibe that I gave that would have said, Oh yeah, he's gonna be
0: receptive to that. That's that's So true, and I'm thankful for her that she did that because God saw in you maybe what you didn't even see in yourself. So we're back to the story. Cornelius sends some people away from Caesarea to Joppa, and they're going to go up to Joppa and find this guy named Simon Peter. And In verse 9, the story picks up about noon the following day as they, that's his group of three people, were on their journey and approaching the city of Joppa. Peter didn't know anything about it, because Peter went up on the roof to pray, noontime prayer. He became hungry, and he wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he could probably smell it And it coming up on the roof, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill, and eat. This was a problem for Peter, even in this trance, this visionary state, because there were animals that were declared unclean in the Old Testament that a good Jewish person would never, ever eat. It were they were ritually unclean animals. And so Peter replies in the, his vision, he replies, Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. He's a Jew's Jew. Verse 15 the voice spoke to him a second time Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That statement had to echo in Peter's mind for the rest of his life. Do not call anything impure that God has made unclean. You you talked about this just a second ago, that if someone had looked at you when you were you know, a young man and, and said, oh, this guy, there's no hope for him. There's, there's no way. But your friend didn't look at you like that. And sometimes I, I wonder if, we have a tendency to size people up. We've been talking about this all along. Size people up and say, "Nope, not redeemable. God can't use them. Whatever." But but God's clearly, at least in this sense of this vision with animals, saying, "You, I want you to get up and eat. You're hungry, and don't worry whether the animals are are on the okay list or stay away list. You you get up and eat." So he's he's taking all of this in in real time i don't know how much application he's he's figuring it out in his life or if he gets it you know when i have dreams i don't always like get it like i, I don't know why i had that dream but i don't know if he's figuring it out why he's, it's happening what do you think is going on in his mind here uh well first off obviously
1: as a good jew he looks at the uh levitical law and his first response is no nah, i can't you know i i can't have a hog roast, i can't eat shrimp i can't do I can't do that. That would be a violation of the law. And so one thing that we do see clearly here is scripture interprets scripture. There is a reason why, you know, Greenbaum will go have a hog roast because God has set us free to eat said hog or for that matter to eat a nice juicy alligator tail. Um, because praise God, we can eat reptiles as well as pig. Uh, what's, or you can have like bacon wrapped alligator sausage, which is to die for. What's alligator taste like? Uh, let's just say chicken tastes like alligator. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's got, it's got, it's <laughs> distinct. It's does have a, a bit of a distinct taste, but a lot of it is, is whatever you cook it in is what it's going to taste like. But when it is cooked correctly, alligator tail is very tender. It is very juicy and it is very uh, delicious. And so
0: and down in the bayou, is it like I want to eat you before you eat me, or how how does this thing work?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've never been out killing gator. Oh, you before, You're not one of those
0: guys in the boat. No, wrestling no. them into the boat.
1: And, no, no, okay. no. I I try to avoid uh, confrontation uh, with said alligators. I've hooked a couple of them while I was fishing, but yeah, I try to avoid confrontation. With, but I will. So What eat do you them. do when you hook an alligator? Uh, I mean, try just, like, to throw the pole in and no try to it. make sure that usually i mean my line was going to break eventually depending on the size of of the gator but uh usually it was yeah try to get it unsnagged without uh touching the gator or just allow your line to uh to break but <clears throat> what we see here is the the freedom that that peter's given based upon this vision and so again we've got scripture interpreting scripture so it's not like We're just throwing out all the Levitical law and just being like, oh, we can do whatever we want. That's not what's happening uh, here. God is communicating this truth to Peter, and he's communicating this truth to Peter in order to set Peter free to go and to bear witness to Gentiles. And really what he's imaging here through his freedom to go and to eat all this food is to to say, you know, nothing is unclean, what he's really effectively telling Peter is, is that my message isn't only for your Jewish brethren, this message, this gospel message is for Gentiles as well. for Jews and Gentiles, as as Paul will say later, you know, barbarian and Scythian, it's for all uh, people. and so there's the he's communicating uh, to uh, Peter the the inclusivity of the gospel. That our relationship with God, there's the ic- exclusivity piece of it where our relationship with God is dependent upon the work of Christ and the work of Christ alone, but the inclusivity aspect of the gospel is that it, it's it's called we're called to go out to all, that, that Jesus has come. He is the Savior uh, to all, not for a particular nation state or p-
0: particular ethnicity, uh, but for all. Well, Peter's getting that figured out really quickly because in the story the servants of Cornelius show up they say hey our boss Cornelius the centurion wants you to come into his house down in Caesarea and I'll be mean, pick the story up in in verse 23 I'm in mean, Acts 10 verse 23 the second half of that verse and it says the next day Peter started out with them so that he takes off walking with these guys and some of the believers from Joppa went along so he's got Christians from Joppa, and he, they're Jews that have been converted, no doubt, and they're walking along with this, this Roman soldier, at the very least, and they're headed into very Gentile territory. Verse 24, the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. There you have it. As a Jewish Jew, he knew that he wasn't supposed to have dealings with non-Jewish people, with Gentile people. But he goes on in that verse, verse 28, to say, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So this is resonating deeply in him. He's beginning to really understand that the gospel is for all people. It's a global gospel for all people, and then Cornelius tells his story of why he was sent, and then down in verse 34, Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So the, the inclusion or exclusion, as you are talking about, from faith has nothing to do with nationality, skin color, or anything like that. But it's, it's, all, it's all about, is my heart right with God if I receive Jesus into my life? Do I, do I fear, do I have reverence for God in my life? And so Peter gets this understanding that the gospel is going global. And this, what, what Jesus gave them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is now going to be realized in their lives and lived out really for all of history. For all the rest of history. And and today we know that, that that Christianity is a very global faith and all around the world and, and nations everywhere, people are followers of Jesus. I'm not gonna say this is the moment when when that became clear in Peter's mind, but it certainly is one of them. It's it's certainly one of them where he understands that the faith is is about every every nation, all people, and God doesn't show favoritism. And he wants every, and to confirm it, confirm it down in verse 44, I love this. Down in verse 44, here's what it says. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that is Jews who believed Jesus was the Messiah, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on non-Jewish Gentiles for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Like, how can this be that these these outsiders receive the Holy Spirit and and the gifts of the Spirit, and and just like we do, and, and they're just amazed by it. They, they don't fully understand it. Peter seems to get it. He calms them down, verse 46, in the middle of that. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's that's a powerful statement. Here's this guy who was a, a Roman centurion, and and his and his household, his his family around him. Anybody that was coming, he was saying, "Bring him into the faith." And so we often think of Peter as kind of the the one who took it took the gospel to the Jews. And Paul, who took it to the Gentiles, but Peter here. They both they both did both. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they both did both. And he's saying, "It's for it's for everybody." I, I think this probably sets the stage for what comes up later in Acts fifteen that we'll be getting to down the road. This sets the stage in Peter's heart for some transformation, don't you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then beyond that. Um this piece of the narrative and, and really the rest of the the narrative in acts, and then we see it throughout the the New testament letters as well it's it's a reminder to us as you've been saying that the gospel is for all it's not limited to a specific nation or ethnicity um and then beyond that it's a reminder to us that the that uh that we are that Christians are by far. By far, the most diverse religious community on the planet, um, which is emblematic and and images the the gospel itself. It images God's uh, kingdom. You know the 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 imagery that we see in Revelation of every tongue, tribe, and nation before the throne of God. Um, we see that playing out currently um, globally. Because again, by, I've been on six continents and have worshiped with believers on six continents by far by far the the most diverse people group
0: on the planet it's a, it's an incredible thing and we're we are grateful grateful for that in, in every way well next week we're going to look at how the gospel continued to spread despite opposition from political and religious authorities it wasn't like everybody embraced it they were still pressing against the faith and so we'll look at how that uh, takes place. This week uh, Ben is Holy Week and we would like to uh, invite all the listeners to participate in Holy Week in your churches in whatever way that you can. It's an, an important time to remember and to really meditate on the life, death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So we we just encourage you to all jump in to whatever Church that is around you and find one if you don't have one, and really see what God's up to see see what Jesus did on that Good Friday and what he did on that Easter Sunday and I'd say if you don't have a church and you live here in the area of Fisher's, Indiana, we would invite you to come to our church Fisher's United Methodist Church we have Maundy Thursday service this Thursday at seven pm Good Friday service this Friday at seven pm. And then our normal three services on Easter Sunday, 8.30, 45, and 11 a.m. So we would always welcome you to come to our church. Folks, if you want to stay up to date with this Be On Mission podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to go deeper into this year-long study, you can go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, and click on the Be On On Mission link. Until next week, may God bless.